sexual assault, sexual assault with a weapon against his then... To wit, a fork. <laughs> against his daughter. Allegedly involving him putting a finger into her pajamas where there was a hole at the knee and reaching up to her vagina. A sexual assault along with two counts of interference where allegedly he asked her to undress in front of him and alleged um, threatening her to take her to the doctor for a needle and then poking a fork in her arm. To simulate said needle. And then assault of the wife, which was a global allegation spanning 10 years of unrelenting abuse, assault of his daughter of choking on numerous occasions and hitting and then slapping his son on two occasions. Mm -hmm. Those were the allegations against our client. And when we read the family court pleading of the complainant ex-wife, it included, in addition to these assaults, another sex assault of the daughter, not included in the daughter's statement or the mother's statement, of a massage, a full body massage, as she described it, with her naked with some sort of lubricant. Desperately trying to hold on to her underwear. Where the, where the young girl was trying to desperately hold on to her underwear. A disgusting allegation, which was and not... And a rather dramatic thing that you would have expected her to remember during her police statement. Yeah. And then what was most repugnant, well, they're all repugnant, but then an allegation of sexual abuse of the son, mm-hmm. where he um, allegedly uh, licked his neck and caused a hickey and stuck his tongue in the son's ear when he was sleeping and when he fell asleep, continued to stick his tongue in the ear. Like, if a judge believes this because we're waiting for a judgment, I'll and eat my suit if the judge accepts this evidence. Mm-hmm. But, well, given a number of factors though, because, and here's one of the things like- No, but just think about this for a second. In the family court proceeding, the complainant ex-wife, mother of these children, who she alienated from our client, alleged that the son did not give evidence about in the criminal statement to police or interview that he continued to stick his tongue in the son's ear to help him go to sleep and when he fell asleep continued to lick his f-ing ear mm-hmm. never never dramatic pause yeah really and one of the one of the interesting things is that in the 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 mother's police statement, she was very very clear that all she wanted was safety, and she didn't want a single dollar. She didn't even want child support. And then, family court comes along. There's not a single dollar left untouched that she was going after. Okay, so to frame that in the police statement, the complainant mother, ex-wife said. I, I'm so fearful for my safety and my children's safety. I don't want anything from them. Mm-hmm. I just want to be safe. Okay. You can imagine somebody saying that. But in the family court proceeding, she's seeking compensatory damages for abuse. The house. Unequal distribution of the assets. Of everything. Uh, 
and then going after him allegedly for assets he's hiding to the tune of a few million dollars. She alleges. Interesting. Now, these are the allegations, okay? And we've run a trial on it, but I want to frame this again. This is a case study of something real. So when our client went away on holiday, sorry, not holiday, when he went away for a business trip, yeah, yeah, it was a business trip. She was able to work on the children. So much so that throughout the fall and early winter, the children were essentially estranged from him in a very significant way. But then she started to manufacture these allegations and co-opting the children into these allegations because her client traveled in October for two to three weeks and then in December for two to three weeks. This is where I mixed it up. There, I, was, I, in, there was a November trip as well. It was like, yeah, it was like just rapid travel. like for th- One was for business around. and where I, I think I, I made a, a mistake. The October trip was business and I think one of the trips was family related where he had to get back to his family in a certain country Regardless, it was rapid trips. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of time that this complainant, along with her children, who were allegedly victimized for so long, had had lots of time on their own. Yeah, and so here's an interesting thing that that you brought out through cross-examination. And uh, it was quite brilliant because the the son, when he was testifying, was still quite young. And so he had that innocence and the, you know, he, he was being really blunt. But you could see that his memory had been infected. And so this is one of the things that came out was that he, he testified that he uh, had certain memories that he didn't have memories of until his mother helped him remember. I still have a cold, by the okay. way. Yeah, but I, I, I'm going to repeat this because the, the, son, the son was saying, essentially, I didn't have memories of this until my mother reminded me of what my memories were. Okay, frame all of that for everybody to understand how this came out. This was really important. There's two very important aspects of his evidence that I then cross-examined him on, which were not in his statement. Mm -hmm. One was about the allegation, the last allegation against his sister, where allegedly our client choked her. He's supposed to have witnessed this, but in his police statement, he didn't witness that at all. No, no, no. In fact, it's the contrary. Yeah. He's, but in he his said, in-court oh, testimony, nothing happened. It was just they were just yelling at each other. In his in-court testimony, he said, "And uh, and I saw my dad choke essentially my sister." Mm-hmm. Not in his police statement, right? Because and he never saw it. <laughs> and then he said that his dad had pushed him down to the ground and continued to hurt him. These on were another two things, occasion. Yeah. On another occasion, they were not in his statement to police, Mm -hmm. contemporaneous allegedly with the allegations. And these were two qualitatively important pieces of evidence to support the mother's testimony, the complainant wife, and the daughter evidence as well. Mm -hmm. And this young boy who was seven testifying at trial miraculously came out with this supporting evidence an examination chief with the crown. Yeah, and when, when you questioned him on, on why he didn't um, mention it to the police, he said, because my, my mother had you know, reminded me, when did that happen? Oh, on the first day that she drove us to court. <laughs> In the car, on the way to court, his mother's telling him what he should remember. And 
and he's just like, he's so innocent. He says, I didn't remember that memory until she reminded me of it. <laughs> right. So we knew. Because the memory never existed. I knew it never it was, happened. I knew that, the, you know, when the moment that came out in examination chief, I think the judge, the whole f-ing courthouse heard me groan. It was implanted. Mm-hmm. Right. So when cross-examining him, I said, your mother spoke to you. And it came out that the mother on the way to court for the first day of testimony had specifically instructed her son to give this evidence that was not in his statements to support the daughter's statement and her own. And then the daughter who was significantly older. These were the memories that I did not know I had until my mother told me I had these memories. Understand what we just said. Yeah. And so the daughter who's significantly older, it was very interesting that in her police statement, one of the last things she said to the police officers was, well, I know you're talking to my brother and I'm just worried that he might lie because he still loves my dad. And so he might lie to you. Right. So I cross-examined the daughter when she was testifying about a page of her interview with the police where she had specifically said, officer, I just have a question. I know my brother gave a statement. That's okay. Like they need her permission. But I'm concerned that he's lying because he still loves my dad. Because he hadn't been completely alienated yet. (laughs) Well, she said in that paragraph, it's an interview on video, but we transcribe it and said, because he's seen everything. He's seen all the abuse. But he may be lying because he loves my dad. I know. So one of no, the... No, no, no. Let's add one other thing. Okay. So when the complainant ex-wife testified, in chief and at the beginning of cross, she would have the court believe that she was incapable of reaching out to resources throughout this decade worth of abuse, not just of herself, but brutal abuse of herself her children and her daughter, including sexual abuse. And she didn't know what to do. And she didn't think she could be believed. Okay. So then I cross-examined her on her curriculum vitae. I know. So let's add this to the mix, just so we discuss in a, in a full, proper context, false allegations. <laughs> Education and certification in... Family Violence Against Immigrant and Refugee Women. Certificate Course in the Journey to Promote Mental Health. Certificate Course in Domestic Violence. Risk Assessment and Management. Working with Newcomers to uh, Canada. Separation, Anxiety, and Culture Shock. Child Abuse Prevention. Full training. And interestingly, we had emails that showed that not only did she have this training... But her allegedly abusive husband assisted her in getting the training. He paid for it. He helped pay for the education, encouraged her career to become involved in this area of being a support worker and a settlement um, officer or whatever it is. So he encouraged this. He helped pay for the courses. And let's not leave out something also significant. Because this, this complainant wanted to suggest that she was really a deer in the headlights, and no match for a client. Yet when cross-examined on her CV, which she obviously didn't think I had, 
She has a master's degree in public administration from a highly reputable university from her country of origin. She has a diploma in early childhood education. She has completed studies in computer um, software and had also done a started a master's degree in computer science. Just, just thinking for a second though, one of the big issues with the daughter was that she was spending too much time on the internet and this particular mother claimed that she couldn't figure out how to turn off the internet. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're a little it's out of facts. It's called a power button. It's called but, a power button. But one button. of the complaints was, the complainant had said she was mad at her client because he gave her an iPhone and would always give her high-end electronics, like a tablet, a laptop, and, and iPhones. And she didn't want her daughter to have uh, a cell phone. God forbid the daughter who was constantly sexually abused by her f***ing client shouldn't have a source of being able to call for help. Leave that aside. And she was complaining about the use of Wi-Fi. So she was complaining that our client would allow her to use Wi-Fi. And she actually, during this fall period of time, harassed her client when he was away about turning off Wi-Fi. What happened was they had an argument about something, but this f***ing complainant argued that she didn't know how to turn off Wi-Fi in the house. Right, yeah, because yeah. if the power a, button doesn't work, you, you can just pull the cord to the f***ing She had a wall. master's degree in public administration, had started a master's in, in computer software, had a computer software diploma. Like, she's, she's bright. Like, super bright and educated. So here's an And guess what? Here's an No, no. Point. And in order to do this, she must have used what? A computer to complete her courses? She must have relied on what? Sure. Wi-Fi and internet access? Because this all occurred within, like, not not the dark ages. It was like, you would have us believe you're completely naive, I think is something that he said. <laughs> you would have us believe that you're so naive that you, 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 you can't do anything. Like, it's absurd. And so, so but the point I want to make is that there is a problem with saying what a perfect victim would act like, right? So, you know, if you were really a victim, you should do this. But that stuff, those, those training courses, the things that he literally helped her obtain these, these courses and these degrees and all this other stuff, that is not a stereotype. That is grounding it in evidence about a particular person. I don't know if he helped her get her master's degree. Well, he helped her get all the training courses on domestic violence. But we that's that. right. Domestic violence, mm -hmm. domestic violence, risk assessment and management, and child abuse. Mm -hmm. And then allegedly she said that she had told her doctors about this and victim services, none of which produced any evidence that of her That was an interesting this. thing because she made a claim that she had been in contact with victim services for over a year and that she'd been telling them about all this domestic violence that was going on in the home in and front violence of her children. And violence against children. And violence, and violence against the children. The children. And so then, of course, we called um, victim services and said, if somebody reports uh, child abuse to you, do you have a, an obligation to report that to the police? And they said, absolutely. And yet, there was no report to the police. And that's it's, it's kind of interesting. When I looked at the... Um, file she made go. in family court and I cross-examined her on it way back a year before she allegedly went to the police she called victim services and told them about the abuse by the applicant father towards me 
and the children. I was in contact with victim services since that date. In Ontario, there's a positive obligation for professionals who deal with children tangentially or as part of their usual work to report violence against a child. CAS, psychologists, social workers, victim services, etc. There was no evidence proffered at the trial at all of any support for this bald assertion made in her family court document. It was made specifically to get a motive response and to support the credibility of her allegations, which is f***ing bullshit. Mm -hmm. And we are waiting for the judgment on this case. And what concerns me is the judge didn't even know that there's a positive obligation to report. And it was kind of interesting just looking at I may get into a some of the issues that, 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 that you cross-examined on too, uh, and my notes from it. It's like the daughter, because quite most of the allegations came from the, the daughter, she asserted to the police in her statement that she was trained in grade four on her rights and this is the daughter complaint. the daughter yeah was trained in grade since grade four she's she asserts to the police my father's been afraid of me ever since grade four because he knew i had authority over him so i could get him in a lot of trouble right so so again in this case study there are these very serious allegations and what we come to understand through the evidence is that the, 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 the wife complainant has extensive training, education, and certification in domestic violence, risk management, and assessment, child abuse, master's degree, very smart. The daughter has full education in domestic violence and has said that I had power over my father because and I can report so him. much so that he was afraid of so much so that he was four. afraid of me and because she has the power to report yeah this all comes out in the interviews yeah. now the background of the complaint it didn't come out I had to cross-examine because when she was being interviewed by police she wanted to make it seem that she was this naive uh, wife who had no knowledge of anything about the system it would not be able to utilize resources or be believed. That had to come out on cross-examination. She wanted everybody, including the court, to believe that she was helpless, which is not the case. But when all the evidence came out, both were highly educated as to what had to be done. Isn't another interesting note that I was just looking at here too, that the, the daughter said that in terms of collusion with her mother, she says, oh, I am... I am 99% sure that my mom doesn't know any of the details of my allegations. And yet, all of the details of the allegations were completely outlined in the answer in family court. Okay, so, so <laughs> both children... Okay, so everybody, when they went to the police, traveled together. So the mother had the son and the daughter in the car, traveled to the police statement, the police uh, uh, station and give statements. They're all together. They're all together on their way to court. Somehow the daughter seems to suggest, even the son, that, you know, we really didn't discuss this. Bullshit. 
after cross-examination, it's very clear they discussed it in great detail. Let's talk, let's talk about collusion for a moment, yeah. okay? The parent who spends the most time with the children and wants to manipulate has tons of time to fill the head of the child or children with the issues and, and the evidence. Everybody wanted to deny that they spoke about what, what the accused father did wrong. In cross-examination, where you are, you know, pointed... Well, except for, except for the, the youngest child. He was pretty open about how his mom was helping his memory. <laughs> we'll get there, but still, he wasn't... They wanted to deny it. So in cross-examination, you have to like go after them in an elegant fashion. And it came out very clearly, the way we set up cross-examination, was that the daughter had been discussing throughout the fall, prior to the charge, with the mother, that there were things being done by the dad that were bad. And the mother had specifically said to this daughter, I'm very worried that your father will get custody. I can't live without you. And then she said, I'll do whatever I need to do to help make sure he doesn't get custody. The daughter said that in right. response. And we got all that out in cross-examination. I was able to finally get that out of her. I need you to think about this very carefully. So the daughter, again, did not want to admit initially that there was really any communication with the mother complainant about these alleged deeds of the father. But then she admitted in cross-examination that there had been continuous conversations with the mother about all the bad things that the dad had done. That the mother had specifically said to her, I'm very worried that I won't have custody of you, that he'll get custody of you, and I can't live without you. And then asking the daughter, asking the daughter, will you help me get sole custody of you and your younger brother? And, and the daughter admitted that finally in cross-examination. Finally. And you had, you had a great moment. How, how pressing is that, though, as a manipulation? I know. There's a great moment when you were cross-examining the mother on this issue, too, where you pointed out your daughter was 12 years old. How much pressure did you put on your 12-year-old daughter? <laughs> yeah, so, so my opening question for this line was how much pressure did you put on your daughter to help you get sole custody of yourself and your younger brother? Is that a good parenting decision? Is that, I, just, I can't remember exactly what you said. So like, but I left it at that. She goes, what do you mean terrible pressure? Parenting. She was traumatized. How much pressure did you put on your daughter to help you get sole custody of your daughter and your, and your son? And was, she wouldn't answer it. I know. And it was right in her statement. You're reading from her statement, her recounting this conversation that she had with her 12-year-old daughter. But the so twist she's was... She's trapped. The twist was, I asked her about pressure on her daughter. And she kept trying to say about the trauma of her daughter without admitting what she had done, which was traumatic. When a parent manipulates a child that way, a 12-year-old child, that's child abuse. It is child abuse. And it, it's even worse when they implant these memories. And sometimes the kids know the memories aren't real. Maybe they're coerced into lying for, their, for a particular parent. But sometimes 
they come to believe that these memories of abuse that are completely false, they come to believe it happened. And then they go about living their life. Without their parent. As if they were really abused. Right. <laughs> that is absolutely child abuse. Right. So what happens is that, the, that one parent, it can be male or female, works on the children so much so that the children become um, indoctrinated and believing that this abuse occurred. They become completely alienated from the other parent. And in this case, and in many other cases, it is the crux of a criminal allegation. So you not only vilify the other parent in family court, you vilify and try and get them convicted of numerous heinous crimes, which are false. But the children, because they're so young and able to be manipulated, ages 12 and five at the time of the statement, come to believe this. So much so that by the time of the trial, they are stoic and want nothing to do with the dad. Or it could be the mother. We're not choosing a gender here. But this is a real case study of such a stark example. And here's why. And we'll talk about more about this in the third episode. But the youngest child, the seven-year-old by the time he testified, so he was five at the time of the statement, seven when he testified, had told us about these two memories that you suggested, you, you talked about, that the mother had suggested evidence to support the daughter's allegation and her own allegation, that this young boy said, I didn't know I had these memories until my mother told me about them. And then I cross-examined him to say, these were discussions that you had with your mother on the way to court? Yes. She talked to you about these details? Yes. She gave me these memories on the way to court to trial. That's clear. I'm trying to remember the precise wording. You know, this, is, this is the beautiful thing about a child at that age is that um, There's some the, truth, the truth comes out, you know? And uh, yeah, the wording about how he talked about memories, it, it was quite stunning and really effective. Now, mother testifies. Mother complaining. First questioning. Tell me about your discussions with your son on the way to court before the trial started. Oh, we just, just, I just talked to him. I just about told him to tell the truth. Tell the truth. Okay. So what did you tell him? Nothing. Just told him to tell the truth. Did you instruct him or give him any type of details about what to say to the court? No. Are you sure about that? Yes. I want to give you another chance to tell the truth to the court. What did you say to your son on the way to the courthouse on the first day of trial? Nothing. I just said to tell the truth. I'm not giving you the exact details of how I cross-examined her. I don't want to give away the case. But it was very stark. The complainant mother f***ing lied under oath to the court about what she said to her son. Because we believe her seven-year-old and our client's seven-year-old son about being instructed by her because there's no way he would know these details but for his mother instructing him on them on the way to court. Here's some interesting stuff from my notes as well that um, 
he ended up admitting in cross-examination that he was now very confused because so many people had talked to him about what he should be remembering <laughs> that he couldn't say that slowly he was he, he admitted that he was very confused about what was real and what wasn't real because so many people had talked to him about what he should be remembering and that he agreed it made it very difficult to remember what he really remembered versus what people told him to remember but there was another interesting thing because we were talking about this pressure that was put on on the old, the daughter, the older child, and uh, and he gave this delightful anecdote, um, the, the son about because I remember my mom asked me, uh, "Will you ever leave me?" And I said, "Well, you know, I might get plans when I get older." <laughs> and this is this is how you can really yeah, it tell it was, really it, it was adorable. I, I remember like the court reporters and everybody were all were all just laughing. And, um, and this is the kind of thing that you can, you can really tell when somebody is doing their best to tell the truth. And uh, thankfully, because you were able to put it to him about his memory getting confused, he was able to, to agree that, you know, admit that his memory had been tainted. Right. So this poor seven-year-old was under pressure from his mother to stay with him in perpetuity. Forever. <laughs> and he said... Well, mom, you know, I love you, but like I may have plans in the future to do other things. Kids like you know, when I grow up, maybe you know, I'll have six some other or seven ideas. when he's saying this. It's like adorable. But it just goes to show the pressure that this parent put on both children so that she would have her sole custody and be able to claim full child support, compensatory damages, unequal distribution of assets, claiming against assets allegedly he hides, and claiming essentially a few million dollars. And this is the worst thing about you know, divorce court and so on, is these parents who then take the children and turn them into possessions like that. You're mine. Stay with me. Well, you had a good line. Selfish possession. Yeah, selfish possession. Of the children. Ownership, I think it was. So we're going to do a third part on this. And and again, we don't have judgment on this. So I want to end on this. This case... The crucible of the allegations are the complainant mother slash ex-wife. She has clearly spoken to both children about all of the bad things that our client allegedly did. She clearly asked the children and inlined them to support to get sole custody. She clearly spoke to the children before the trial about what evidence to give. Just okay? to make sure all the ducks are in a row. <laughs> That's an evidence. It's, it's pretty clear. You'd have to be a moron not to see how clear this is. And we don't have judgment yet. How on earth could anybody be convicted of these offenses when the complainant the main complainant wife slash mother tells a court under oath, I never said anything to my kids about what their evidence should be. It's provably false. Against a seven-year-old innocence who says, well, my mom gave me these memories because I didn't remember them until she told me on the way to court. I want to end with that. Yeah, it was pretty what stunning. What do you think a court should do with that? 
Do you think in any way, shape, or form, any credibility or reliability can be placed on any witness for the prosecution, a young daughter and a young son manipulated by a mother who lied to the court about what she said to the children on the way to court. And we're going to, we're not going to, we're not going to tape the next episode on this until after the verdict. And we're going to review it then because I hope to God the truth comes out in the verdict. And the sad thing is I've seen it so many times, like a recognition that um, in the midst of an acrimonious divorce, false allegations are extremely common. The courts know it and nothing's being done to stop it. But the, but, but the reality <laughs> is you need to be so good in how you construct your cross-examination of these witnesses to bring out what you know are falsities. And when you get that, the court has to recognize the damage done by manipulation. It cannot be excused because they may be a victim or they may be this or they may be that. So here's the cliffhanger. Let's see what the verdict will be. And again, we don't want to disclose in any way, shape or form what this case is. We don't want to denigrate a court in any way, shape or form, but this evidence is incredibly stark. In one of the clearest cases of parental alienation and gaining a leverage through the criminal court for the family court process. It is really stark and I don't even want to say disgusting. It's frightening. And we must remember the biggest victims in all of this are the, the children. children. They, they lose both parents. Really, they can be with the mother, but is that, as they grow up, is that the parent? Is that the parent they want to model from? Is that the parent they're going to get the best love and guidance from? Yeah. It's so sad. Good night. Good night. Hopefully my voice will be better for next episode. Like, share, subscribe, hit notification, whatever. Leave comments. Send us emails. Give us suggestions. Thank you. Good night, everybody.